Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Thank you for having me, and um, thank you for, uh, to Pastor Dan, who I'm sure will be checking up on me and exactly what I say later on the recording. And um, before jumping into it, I'll just humanize myself by introducing my family. And um, this is me, my wife, Tracy, and we have three kids, Alina, Ariel, and Jackson, seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a three-year-old. So please keep us in your prayers. Um, I wanted to share this moment because this was meant to be our baby dedication for our youngest, Jackson. And if you look carefully, he is pulling on my wife's hair while my middle one is lying on the floor booting her leg and the oldest one the entire dedication was loudly shouting i want to go back to kids church and so i thought i'll just share that moment with you um to show you that we're a mess just like you guys so um and i also just wanted to um thank you as the rocks church on behalf of everyone at heart for the city church your pastor is a personal mentor of mine, but not only that, uh, you guys collectively have actually um, sowed into our new South Campus that we're planting. And so uh, your church is a church that sows beyond its own walls and helps other parts of the kingdom to flourish and thrive also. So on behalf of my church, I want to thank you for uh, sowing into our new South Campus. Thank you very much for that. And now let's jump into the Word of God. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 14. You can probably guess by the name of the title that we're going to be looking at the account of Jesus walking on water. And my goal by the end of this message is that you never look at the account of Jesus walking on water through the same lens again. So we're going to start from verse 22. It says, Immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified and said it is a ghost and they cried out in fear immediately Joseph spoke to them saying take heart it is I do not be afraid and Peter answered him Lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water he said come so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So we're going to start from verse 25 that we just looked at. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, everyone say sea. We've got to do better than that. Come on. Everyone say sea. Cool. 
That's just my way of keeping people awake. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Everyone say ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now in the original Greek word, the, uh, the, the word for ghost here is phantasma. We still use this word today. We say uh, a phantom. So it's a specter. It's a ghost. And ghosts were a huge part of their culture and beliefs. That's why Jesus had to eat food in front of them after the resurrection. That's why he had to stick poor Thomas's hand in his open wound and through his hands because they, ghosts were a part of their worldview. Phantasmas were a part of their worldview. He had to prove to them, I'm not a ghost. So we need to understand and put ourselves in their worldview and understand that as they see Jesus walking towards them across the water, they think that it is a phantom. And so a phantom in the middle of the sea, it's likely a ghost ticked off because he's a sailor who's drowned at sea. He's mad and now he's walking towards them on the water. So it's going from bad to worse. It's fourth watch of the night. That means 3 a.m., the witching hour. 3 a.m., in the middle of a storm, the boat's rocking, the waves are smashing, the, the, the rain's pouring down, and now a ghost is coming to horror movie them. Bad to worse. Jesus is merciful. He doesn't let it hang in the air. He could have let that hang in the air, like let's just keep them thinking it's a ghost for a little while. That's just... But no, it says immediately he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch that? Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, if that's you, tell me to walk on water. Um, what? Why? I mean, Peter here is the one setting the terms and conditions. Often when this is taught about, this account is preached about, when we talk about it, it's often alluded to and spoke about in a way where it's Jesus challenging Peter to come walk towards him on water. It's talked about in a way where it's Jesus making the challenge. Come on, Peter, step out in faith and walk on water. But actually here, Peter is the one that looks to Jesus and says, if that's you, command me to come to you to walk on water. If that was me, I'd be saying, Lord, if that's you, command me to stay in the boat so that I know it's you. Or at the very least, Lord, if that's you, calm the storm and the waves like you did the other time. No, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Why would you give that as your condition of proof? Let's hold that thought for a while. 
So the disciples are crying out in fear, like it's a horror movie. Ghost, ghost, phantasma. And Jesus calls out to them in verse 27, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. A more literal translation of that sentence would be, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. I am being the name of God given to Moses in the Old Testament, called the Tetragrammaton. It's where we get our name for God, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah, whichever scholar you believe has got that one right. It's the divine name. It's I am. And within the context of that divine name and what Jesus is doing at that point, walking on water, what we need to understand is these guys, even though they were fishermen, some, and, and other trades or tax collectors, there was one or two Pharisees, but the rest, they're lay people. But we need to understand this. That generation, that people had scripture memorized. Memorization of scripture was only the beginning to even be considered for rabbinical school. These guys knew their scripture. They knew it off by heart. And what we need to understand is they knew it so off by heart that it shaped their worldview. And so scriptures such as the following are what they would have had in mind as they saw this scene. Job 9.8, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Isaiah 51.10, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over. Psalm 89, O Lord God of hosts, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Now, these are just three examples I've given you. You will find countless other verses and much imagery of our God being the God who is God over the sea. And in biblical and Near Eastern old world symbolism, the sea represents chaos. The sea, the water, the deep, it's unpredictable and choppy and dangerous. It's full of death, it's full of creatures. They literally believed the sea, and you'll see this in other parts of the Psalms, that they literally believed there were sea monsters in the sea. There were creatures down there, dangerous things lurked in the sea. This is a huge part of their worldview. This is why in Revelation 21, 21, it even tells us this about Christ's return and our world being recreated for us. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. See, the sea represents all that is not of God, all the fallenness, all the brokenness, all the chaos. And so more than just showing his divinity through the imagery of Scripture, there is a why to the walking above water. We need to understand walking on water, it's got a bit of a bad rap, if you ask me. It's it's viewed in some sort of ways as almost like a party trick. It's like, hey, check out this guy's son of God walking on water. And there was a coin behind your ear the whole time. We've reduced it to almost like a power display, a gimmick. Jesus showing off. 
Check this out, guys. I can walk on water. And Peter, Peter, pass me that skateboard. Wait till you see the next trick. Now I'm cartwheeling on water. We, we talk about this walking in water through su in such shallow terms that even the allegory for it of being walking in faith or trusting in God, even that does not do it enough justice. We have to go back to Genesis 1 and the creation story to understand the fullness of what it means for him to walk on the sea. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, not heaven as in the place where he dwells but the heavens and there was evening and there was morning the second day God said let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas so in the Genesis 1 creation account it's showing a duality a contrast which is a huge part of what the word of God does all the way through, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, David and Solomon, David and Saul, the 11 disciples and Judas. No matter where, there's always this duality, there's always this contrast. In the case here, we have light and darkness, day and night, morning and evening, land and water, earth and seas. Now, here's what we need to understand. Often we can speak about creation in Genesis 1 is an account of God saying let there be light and that being in like a big bang-esque fashion the start and the dispersion of all things and all matter and all that there is but that's not what the text says God declares light in verse 3 there's already stuff in existence before he declares let there be light God doesn't say, let there be light and darkness. Darkness is already present. And then God says, let there be light. Then in verse 4, after declaring, speaking out light, he calls only the light good. And he separates that which is good from that which represents the, the darkness, the chaos, the deep, the waters. He separates them from each other. So there's already the bad, the chaos, the deep, the seas, that which is not within God's order, present, God speaks out light, He calls it good and He separates. The waters are already there, the deep is already there, but He splits the waters, He calls up land. In fact, He separates waters twice to create the expanse of the heavens and the globe and then again to create dry land where his will his creation can start to take shape and live out its intended order its intended um, goodness under him 
his mastery and authority of the waters is his a sign of his ability to create good, to intention good. He exercises authority to create, to bring about his desire, his will, his intention, that which is good. He brings order to disorder. He subdues chaos. And then he hands the mission over to man. Genesis 1.28, he says to them after doing all that, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. And again at the cross, Jesus again brings order to chaos and sends us out in the same authority to do the same. In the Great Commission, verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Go in my authority. Walk in my authority. It mirrors back to the original call to Adam and Eve to walk out and to subdue, to bring order to chaos, to bring God's intention, God's will to that which is outside of His will and intention. And so now coming back to the Matthew 14 account of Jesus and Peter walking on water. Verse 28 says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water, on the sea. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. You see, they understood the significance of Messiah walking above the sea. They understood what it meant. They understood what he was saying about himself. So Peter looks to him and he says, Jesus, if that's you, if that's you walking above the sea, the sea being chaos, pain, fallenness, brokenness, the misery. Peter's saying, Jesus, if you're walking above all of that, call me to walk above all of that too. If you're above the nonsense, if you're above the trash, if you are above the pettiness, call me to walk above all of that too. If you're above the brokenness, if you're above the fallenness, if you walk above it all, if you walk above the sea, call me to walk above it too. Jesus, if you're above the rat race, if you're above the love of money, if you're above every shiny thing that this world has to offer that is contrary to what you are saying I should be chasing, Jesus, if you are in this world, but you're not of it, would you call me to be above it all too? Would you call me to be not of it too? Could you call me? Could you call me to walk above it all? If you're above self, if you're above self-seeking, if you're above selfishness, could you call me there? Could I walk above all these things? Call me to walk above it. God, if you're subduing the sea, in other words, if you subdue chaos, if you bring order to chaos, 
call me to subdue it too. Do you know, if we're called to walk how Jesus walks, then we're called to walk above the sea too. We're called to walk above it all also. The imagery of Messiah, Jesus walking on water. It's the image of God who triumphs and subdues over chaos, over evil, over fallenness, over the sea, over everything that is not of the Father. The imagery of Jesus the Messiah walking on the water is the imagery of the Messiah walking above it all. And before they knew that it was Messiah, Jesus, what did they think it was? Phantasma, a phantom, a ghost. Phantom is the ghost of a, of a sailor who's drowned in the sea, who has sunk beneath and has been subdued, who has entered into death of the sea. That's what a ghost is. That's what a phantom is. A phantom is the product of the world around them. Surrounded by water, affected by the water, water locked. A phantom is the ghost of the world because it's the victim of the world. It's beneath it. A ghost is the result of the chaos. It's the fruit of this world. It's the fruit of chaos. It's the fruit of fallenness. It's the fruit of brokenness. It's the result of death. The sea has swallowed them. And they look and they point and they cry out, Phantom! And Jesus immediately stops them and says, No, I'm not the product of this world. I'm the king of the earth, not the product of it. I'm the king of the earth. I'm not the victim of it. I'm the king of the earth. I subdue the earth. I haven't been subdued by it. Do you know, we have a God who calms storms, but thank God that He also calls us to walk above it all while the storm is raging, while it's hitting us, while it's forming. While there is still disorder, while there's still the choppiness and we're being belted by this wave and belted by that wave, while it's all hitting us, while we can see it all around us, we have a God who says, even while that's going on, I can still call you to walk above it while you're within it. We have a God who calls us to walk above the ways of this world, not to be consumed by them. Why don't you all stand to your feet right now? Do you know when we hold grudges, unforgivenesses, unforgiveness and grievances, we hold grief. Are we consumed by them or do we walk above them? Do we walk in forgiveness? Do we seek reconciliation? You know, even within families of believers, this one not talking to that one, this child not talking to that parent, walking in the waters of the world. Our God calls us to walk above it. When we're hurt, 
when we're pierced, misunderstood, do we become the fruit of it? Do we become the victim of it? Or can we choose to walk above it? Can we start the process of healing? Can we seek wholeness? You know, we live in a world of such bad attitudes, attitudes everywhere, attitudes just contrary to the heart of Christ. Do we mimic the world around us? Are we, are we walking in the sea? Are we walking in the waters? Our God calls us to walk above it, to have the mind of Christ. We're in a world where people are anxiety-ridden, struggling with depression, bitterness, hatred. You know what? When we give in to these things, we're a phantom. We're a ghost. We've sunk beneath the waves. We're now a product of the world, the product of the chaos, a product of all that is not God's intention. Swallowed by the waters, the waves, and now we walk in the ways of death. Our Father in heaven calls us to walk above it. And He gives us His Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the opposite, the opposite of anxiety is the fruit of the Spirit that is peace. The opposite of depression is the fruit of the Spirit that is joy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. The opposite of hatred and bitterness. And hatred and bitterness leads to the end result of indifference. Because you have to be, you have to be engaged with something to hate it. It ends up leading to blind indifference. The first mentioned fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit has come to offer us the fruit that is the opposite of walking in the ways of this world. He's offered us the fruit of walking above it. Do you know, when you're in your workplace, your family, your school, your class, your social circle, and you encounter the mean-spiritedness, the gossip, the backbiting, the bagging out of the boss. When you encounter all these things, you can choose to be part of the water. You can choose to be beneath the sea, or you can choose to walk above it. You can ask God for His strength and His picture of, how do I walk above all this? How do I walk above the ways of this world? Every one of us can look at our lives. We can see chaos chaos in our minds, chaos in our hearts, peace disrupted, lack of patience, all these things. We have the option of looking at the life and the picture of Christ and saying, if this is who you are, could you call me to walk above it? Could you call me? Could you help me to walk above the sea? Why don't you all close your eyes right now? You know, we're about to sing that, that infamous, that old, that well-known song, Oceans. Very appropriate in, in what we're looking at. And as we do so, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to stir. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak, for Him to highlight, for Him to counsel, for Him to guide, for Him to instruct, for Him to change. Because we are called to walk above it. We are called to walk above it. And for each of us, it's what does that mean for me? That's what the faith journey is. That's what the discipleship journey is. It's less of me and more of you. Show me how to walk above it. 
Show me how to grow beyond it. Show me how to leave it behind. Show me how to look to you. I want to walk as you walk. I want to have the heart of the Father. There's a moment here for us to reaffirm our hearts, to listen. You know, the first idol was self. The first idol was self. In this moment, we can let pride drop, ego drop, and we can adopt the posture of humility. God, would you change me? Would you speak to me? We're going to sing this song right now. We're going to sing these words. And as we do so, as we do so, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to work. And after that, I'm going to come back up. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite anyone that wants prayer, anyone that needs prayer. If you need to accept Jesus, this Jesus that died for you and offers a different way that is above it all. If you need to accept this Christ, this Jesus that died on a cross for you, whether for the first time, the first time in a long time, or whether through the fresh eyes of understanding that it is all Him and not nothing to do with me, then I just want to invite you, come out the front as we worship or, or after, come and see me. But if you need prayer, if you need someone to come alongside you, something, there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be time at the end. You know, let humility kick in. Let self fall, let humility kick in. There's power when someone comes alongside with their yes and amen to stand, to stand alongside us. But we're gonna sing these words right now. And as we do so, let's allow the Holy Spirit to take us above it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website, visit therocks.church.com.